if your leader is a, a dynamic, empathetic, vulnerable teacher, mentor, chances are you have a pretty good culture. But if your if your leader is, and I hate to say this because I am one, an old white guy that has only learned how to lead one way, and that's autocratic, command and control, um, boisterous, decisive, then chances are you don't have a really good culture. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by Jay Ventures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley, in partnership with Lomitech, and sponsored by Homeward Ventures, Hippo Insurance, Upwest, Hillel at Stanford, Leap, and Birthright Excel. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders, and we're going to be talking about doing good in the workplace. Meet Mark Babbitt, president of Word IQ and co-author of Good Comes First. Employees of all generations desire and deserve workplaces where they feel respected and are validated for their ideas, efforts, and contributions every day. As we're witnessing right now, when a company culture falls short of those expectations, top talent is cutting the lifeline that has tethered them to their old employers and old autocratic leaders often feel, uh, afflicted with what we call boomer male syndrome or BMS. In record numbers, good people are leaving bad companies or at least bad company cultures. To retain and attract top talent, today's leaders must now work with all stakeholders, not just shareholders, to create an uncompromising company culture where employees can expect respect while helping drive results. In other words, they must ensure good comes first. Mark Babbitt, welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. How are you right now? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. So where, where are you based right now? You mentioned that you're in, in, some, in, in, in a different location than what I perhaps would have expected. Well, I, I, uh, I decided to raise my family in the, in the mountains. So we're up in Colorado between Denver and Colorado Springs, uh, enjoying the fall season. Beautiful. I love it. Okay, so today we're going to dive deep into culture. And culture is something that, you know, we've been hearing a lot in the, these past few years particularly in this past two years as companies had to navigate some difficult decisions regarding their employees, their, their work-life balance, the way that, that companies are actually working with employees. Uh, but, it's, but it seems like it's still a big mystery as to, you know, what is, what is the relevance of culture in a company setting? When is the right time to work on culture? And how do you actually measure good culture and uh, on your shirt, I read Good Comes First, which is the title of your new book. And, and I'm really excited to be talking to a culture expert uh, and having you know, researched this and studied this. I'm excited to pick your brain on what does it mean to build good culture for employees and for companies to thrive where good comes first. So, Mark, tell me a little bit about yourself and about Good Comes First. I started my professional career in the, in the United States military in the Air Force and did what every military-trained engineer does when you get out of the military. You go to Silicon Valley and uh, applied the <laughs> trade of engineering for about a decade and went, this just sucks. This is not who I'm supposed to be. And, and immediately went into the startup world and, and uh, rested wow. there for about 20 years. Um, uh, uh, two very successful startups, one that should have been good, but, uh, but you know, leadership and culture played a major role in this company that I came into uh, later. And, and from that point, I became fascinated with 
leadership's impact on culture. And and it was funny to me that leadership was always willing to spend money and time and energy and entire teams on things like employee engagement and retention rates with HR and success rates with attracting top talent, again, with HR and and many other metrics, but they weren't willing to look internally at themselves first as leaders and specifically at their company culture. And that struck me as odd because how can you improve employee engagement and all these other metrics if your company culture sucks? And and so especially my 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 startup experiences were in the career space. And we were sending people into a workforce that was not at all satisfying or fulfilling. And and so those two areas kind of collided between my experience in the career world and 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 this this uh, uh, continuous observation that leaders didn't understand how they impacted culture and that brought us to the where we are today. What does it mean to research culture? Can you can you help me understand what does that process even look like from your perspective? How do you go about researching culture? So the the first thing we do is we we help our, our clients, and, and certainly in Good Comes First, we, we talk about how to do this. We actually help them formalize their culture. Um, as, as you might have experienced, Michael, most cultures are accidental. They're, they're not intentional at all. Often they take the, the form of the strongest personality in the leadership group, the CEO, the founder, uh, the president, the executive director in a nonprofit but it's not intentional. So if your leader is a, a dynamic, empathetic, vulnerable teacher, mentor, chances are you have a pretty good culture. But if, you're, if your leader is, and I hate to say this because I am one, an old white guy that has only learned how to lead one way, and that's autocratic, command and control, um, boisterous, decisive, then chances are you don't have a really good culture because our leaders, our fellow leaders in the C-suite, our VPs, our next-level leaders, our directors, and and eventually our middle managers all take on the personality of that autocratic command and control old white guy and uh, not empathetic, mm-hmm. not vulnerable, not a, an active listener. And, and so... Getting back to your question, finally, Michael, we we measure because we actually ask people, what, how well do your leaders live up to the values? You know that that poster on the wall, the mission statement on the wall. How 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 are we doing? What's working well and what's not? And and oftentimes, we learn that the the people that are actually employed there, they don't care what the about us page says. They don't care what the careers page says they don't care what that plaque on the wall says they they have a much different version of culture than the leaders do and this disconnect is easily measured but unfortunately not many companies go that route again we 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 tend to focus on the the symptoms not the problem right now maybe before we dive deep, deeper into creating a good culture what is the, what are the side effects of having bad culture? Can you share with me a little bit of more tangible examples of, you know, how, where we've seen we've had bad culture experiences and how that has 
impacted the company in a negative way because I, I just like you know talking about startups I'm, I'm trying to first formulate the the pain point that, that you know good comes first comes to tackle so pain points are are prolific pain points are employee engagement a pain point is a retention and attraction of top talent uh, but but also real numbers are affected productivity profits we can't ask people to serve our customers well if we're not treating them well. So customer service relationships are impacted. Across the board, a, a, a company culture can either positively or negatively impact every metric we measure. And, and I, I'll tell you, we're seeing it right now in, in, in terms of people voting with their feet. We're, People talk, we're talking about a labor shortage, a worldwide labor shortage. But the companies that have really good cultures, they don't have labor shortages. The industries that have historically treated their people well don't have labor shortages. But if you look at hospitality, restaurants, bars, where people are working for tips, they're, 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 they're literally just grinding mm. every night working for tips. And, and our employers are not taking care of them, well, they're having a huge labor shortage. But Michael, you've probably right. seen this. The companies that are really good companies and have amazing leadership and really good cultures, they have a line out the door of people who want to come work for them because people are voting with their feet. They're not tolerating. Maybe they've been there 10, 12, 15 years. Now the pandemic comes along and it's we're now working from home and we have this freedom and this autonomy and we've gotten to decide when and where and how our work gets done. And now those leaders are like going, well, just forget forget the last 18 months. Forget all that freedom we gave you. We're going to suck you back into that old culture that you that didn't fulfill you at all. Well, people are going, no, I've, I've had a chance to reevaluate what's important to me. I like being home with my yes. significant other, my kids, my, my four-legged kids, my elderly parents, my extended family. I, I I like seeing my kids' soccer games, and I'm not gonna go. But I'm not I'm not gonna be on a train an hour and a half a day, work ten hours, come home an hour and a half a day, and then just be angry that I'm eating a cold dinner and I missed my daughter's soccer game. I'm not gonna do that anymore. And and so they're leaving. They're right. they're finding companies where that autonomy, that freedom, that that culture inspires them to do good work. Right now. Tell me about good comes first. So culture is critical. Bad culture is, you know, is detrimental to the, the, the way of a company either succeeding with its product development or with its hiring top talent. Where, what, what is good comes first? Is the book, what, what, what does it aim to achieve? So it aims to achieve, uh, our, 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 our goal is simple, Michael. Good people doing good work in a good place to work. And, and I know that sounds ridiculously simple but in all the research that we did in, in our client work that's the common denominator now in order for that to happen we have to convince leaders that it's not okay just to focus on results that that results alone are not going to help you gain the results you want so we we introduced the idea of making the showing of respect, the demonstration of respect to every person in the company, every stakeholder, not just shareholders, not just executives, which is 
frankly, since the industrial age began, how we've kind of focused, right? That's the results focus. But now, how are we treating people? How are we asking people to treat each other? And so, in good comes first, we're asking leaders to say, yes, results are important. If we don't have good results, we don't have a company, right? We can't hire good people. But respect has to be on that same plane. And and it it really does come down to how we treat each other. Do people feel valued, respected, um, appreciated, validated? And and once we accomplish that goal, well, that's the key for, for all the companies we researched. That's the key. When people feel good about the work they do, when they know their work really matters and they're helping drive results, well, now we probably have a good company culture. Can you share some case studies where you've observed significantly positive company culture where a company and, and the leadership is upholding the values that you're just mentioning now? Uh, of course. And, and we mentioned several of them in the book. And, and we were so happy as we were doing the research to learn how many leaders were so focused on this respect issue that it became the, the focal point of our work. And I'll, I'll give you my favorite example is an HR platform out, out of Utah called Bamboo HR. And Bamboo HR historically has treated their employees incredibly well. And my favorite example, Michael, is they, they not only focus on personal and professional growth, which is huge in a, in a, in a good comes first culture, they not only focus on respect, but they focus intrinsically, systemically on employee wellness. And, and burnout, stress, is not only a, a, a major indicator of a poor company culture, but in a good company culture, it's something that the leaders deliberately focus on and, and they work hard to avoid it. And, and the way Bamboo HR does this, among many other ways, is they offer their employees a paid, paid vacation. So, of course, they pay them <laughs> while they're on vacation, like everybody else does. But they also pay them to take vacation. They'll say, here's, <laughs> wow. 21, here's $2,100. You go, go buy you and your partner a cruise. Go take your kids to Disney World. Wow. Do something. This is our money. And, and oh, by the way, taking your paid time off, not optional. It doesn't accrue because if they allow PTO to accrue, that means in a, in a backhanded way, they're actually, you know, enforcing or, or, or um, tolerating burnout. No, you're going to take, this, right. is, this is important right. to you. The mental wellness, it's important to us because we need you refreshed and engaged. And so we're not only going to make sure you take that vacation, but we're going to give you money so you can do something amazing. And, and that's just a, just a great example of a company treating their people absolutely well. Incredible. Incredible. Tell me a little bit more about being very intentional with creating positive culture and what are some actionable things that, you know, either myself or my friends that may have startups, what, what, what could we as, as, you know, upcoming leaders, hopefully upcoming leaders do to, to create better culture intentionally? Well, the key word is intentionally. It's, it's taking a look back, and this might take an afternoon. It might take a facilitator in a room. 
to say, okay, what kind of company do we want to be? What are the three, four, five values that are that we will not compromise on? And and if we do compromise on those, and uh, an example, Michael, is integrity. Integrity is a core value of just about every company we've ever talked to, ever worked with. But then when the third company, the third quarter report is ready to come out, we'll take shortcuts. We'll fudge the numbers. We'll we'll move things from column A to column B. It's we're not cheating. We're not lying. The SEC is not going to come after us. But but we're we're doing what we have to to make that third quarter report look better, right? Well, employees see that. Staff sees that. The accounting team sees that. When when the the sales figures come out, the sales team goes, "Oh, I didn't know we did that." Well, you've you've just contradicted one of your key um, values, and and so right that that's a big part of it. And so, one, define your values, formalize your values, not and not just your values, but then pick three or four behaviors that might indicate. Whether you're living that value or not, I'll go back to the integrity um, value. We have a we have a client that says uh, when we measure that that value or or their ability to serve as chief role model for that value, we say, does this leader keep their promises? Do they do what they say they're going to do? Because that's kind of the definition of integrity, right? And so we actually provide feedback on that and and. And you don't need us to do that. The book lays out exactly how to do that. And then you can just own it. You can ask, you know, go to your leadership team as the CEO and say, here's our core values. What do I do to demonstrate that I'm living up to those core values? What do I do that might indicate right. that I'm not living up to those core values? And and once you have that data in your hands and you're willing to listen which a lot of old white guys are not willing to listen, but still you got to try. You got to, you got to take this input, this hard data and listen to what the data and the science are telling you. And then you can make adjustments because that will tell us, Michael, exactly how far off we are from, from this ideal defined culture and where we are now. And until we know that we can't close the gap. So Mark, take me back a little bit to your childhood. And I'm curious to know what, what were you were curious about? So you know, as you're going through elementary, middle school, you know, what, what it, you mentioned that you were in the Air Force before and then, you know, then Silicon Valley and now thinking about culture. So a, a breadth of experiences. And I'm guessing that culture wasn't, you know, the thing that occupied your mind in, in fifth grade. What, what were you curious about as a kid? Two things. Uh, entrepreneurship, although I sure didn't call it that, that then. I, I, I started my own business when I was eight. And, and, uh, and, wow. and boy, did I get a lot of crap for that. But I, I always knew that Listen. that that there was more to life than than just going to a lumber mill, which is what my dad did. Um, and and he was very good at it. I mean, he started pushing a broom, uh, uh, you know, out of the navy, and ended up owning and managing a lumber mill. So it, he was good at it, and he was a and he was a very. Um, decisive leader you knew exactly where you stood both as a son and as an employee of my father you knew exactly where you stood the whole time and and that probably impacted my view of leadership quite a bit but um but i cared about that's all i cared about as a kid entrepreneurship and sports that was it i like like i didn't understand even having to go to school 
because you weren't teaching me anything that was going to make me a better boss or make my business better. And, and so I always had this weird view of leadership and culture and work. And, and what's really funny now, I'm 61 years old now, I'm old. And, and now all the stuff that I was talking about way back then about, um, you know, taking the time off to go hunting and fishing and being at your kids' games and all that stuff that just didn't happen back then. Well, now we're making that an important part of life now. We've recalibrated toward that model. And so it's kind of fun to see it all come full circle. And if I were to ask you for a few words that you would use to describe yourself, what would those be? Well, the first one's easy. The first one is mentor. I, I love the role. It's not a paying gig at all. It's, it's, uh, it, it never has been. But I, I just, uh, especially in the startup world or the sports world, I just, I just love sitting down with people and asking them, you know, what, what's working well? What, what's keeping you up at night? What, you know, where are your bigger stressors? And then, and then I, I, I consider myself a solution junkie, which would probably be the second word or phrase is, okay, now good. Now let's go fix that problem. Now that we've been self-aware enough to actually identify right. the real problem, not the symptoms, but the problem, let's go find a solution for that. And then um, right. the third is, is a tie. I don't know if it's, I've coached baseball for 35 years and, and I also have five kids and five grandkids. So very much a tie, that third word between dad and grandpa and coach. I love that. Mark, thank you very, very much. This was wonderful. Uh, I can't wait to read the book and uh, thank you for sharing this time with me and uh, stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. 